Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a sobriety and wellness podcast where you'll hear honest experiences about navigating life and relationships without alcohol, how to pursue your own personal wellness journey, and share intimate conversations with special guests. I'm your host, Keisha Scott. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Done With Debauchery. I have another amazing conversation to share with you this week, and I just have to say that I'm so thankful that everyone who comes on the podcast as a guest feels safe and trusts me with sharing such personal and important parts of their stories. This week, I'm joined by Stephanie. Stephanie shares how, for so long, she was chasing the feelings she got from her first night drinking, to what her life was like throughout her college years while she was in her addiction, to how her life has changed with 13 years of recovery and sobriety behind her. Stephanie gives me a different perspective based on her experiences with Alcoholics Anonymous, why it was important for her to find a sponsor and community that she identified with, and how being of service is such an important active part of her recovery. While we can look back and laugh at some situations and stories that Stephanie shares, her experience is no joke. Before we get into the episode, I want to provide a content trigger warning for those who need it. In this episode, there are mentions of sexual assault, self-harm, and other sensitive topics relating to mental health. Although we don't go into specific details, the episode should be listened to with care. Okay, let's get into it. Hi, Stephanie. How's your day going? (laughs) It's good. How are you doing? It's good. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. I've been following you on Twitter for some time and I just love reading the tweets that you put out. I feel like they're so honest. They're so on point. Um, So I'm just so excited to chat with you and find more about your sobriety journey uh, and what all you've experienced these last 13 years. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I've looked at your stuff too. It looks really, it looks amazing. I think it's cool that you're doing something like this, you know, within the first year, I just think it's something you can build on. And it probably is, it's almost more helpful when you're talking about it at that point than it is with 13 years. Cause I think it feels more like realistic when someone's just starting out to hear from someone who has a shorter time. So um, I think it's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, it's been a really good um, accountability for me to know that, okay, I am showing up doing this podcast. I'm showing up on social media. Like I have to stay accountable to myself and to all these other people. So yeah, yeah, it helps, but it can also be like, sometimes you're just having one of those days where you're like, I don't feel like smiling like on social media. Yeah, Yeah, I have that a lot. I'll, I'll be like ghosting for like, a month or two and that's just like how I have to do it I think some people are great at being consistent I hope I get to that point but I definitely allow myself to have like space um just because you know I'm a person in recovery and there's always like spiritual growth happening so yeah it's not like the best 
for me to be, you know, out there if I'm going through different things. I completely get that and I think that it is so important like to recognize when you need a break and just to like unplug from it because like social media will always be there when you're ready to come back to it. Exactly. So where exactly are you located? So I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, but I have mainly lived in Nashville my whole life except for a few you know, short periods. I lived, um, I lived in San Diego for a little bit. I lived in Portland, Oregon, and I lived in St. Petersburg, Florida for college. But other than that, I've been here. Nice. Nice. And so where you live now in Nashville, is that where you started your sobriety journey or take me back, take me way back where it all started? I was, you know, what's funny. I was thinking about the other day, like that, the housing, I my housing journey in terms of like where I was when I first got sober and then, you know, where I moved after that and where I moved after that and all of it's been elevated. So that's I don't amazing. Know if that's part of being sober, I think it is. Um, because, you know, when I first got sober, I lived in not the nicest apartment complex. Um, I lived in an apartment with my mom and my cat and, um, I walked to work at this like borderline CD hotel. I mean, it was like, like a cheap airport hotel, but like definitely some prostitution was there. Like it wasn't, you know, an upscale place. Um, So yeah, I mean, thinking back to where I was when I first got sober and where I am now, it's, it's definitely been a journey upward. Um, for sure. And I have a car now and I drive to work. Amazing. <laughs> I have a license and insurance and all that stuff. Beautiful, beautiful. And that's the funny thing about sobriety, right? Like you improve this one area of your life and it impacts everything else. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Sobriety totally has been the foundation for everything else that I've done professionally. Um, you know, in terms of just the person that I am, I think all of it sprung from the decision to get sober and follow the guidance of someone who had gotten sober. Um, All of that kind of built this life way more closely, you know, uh, a, a closer vision to what I was hoping for, and even better than what I was hoping for at the time. So it's kind of magical. I I think sobriety is magical. And I think that's why I talk about it so much because, you know, I would be dead. I mean, there's no getting around it. If I had not gotten sober at 23, which I know people think that's a death sentence getting sober that young, but I I just don't think I could have, you know, raged that much longer. Um, It just wasn't, you know, in the cards for me. I think people uh, underestimate how alcohol affects women's bodies. Um, But I meet women all the time who are, who have cirrhosis, who are on liver transplant lists um, in their twenties. And so it's just, you know, we think we have our whole life to just keep drinking that way, Mm. but it's not the case. There's a lot that can happen that will stop you. 
And is it worth it? I don't know. For me, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't fun towards the end. I agree. And so you do work in the recovery space now. Yeah. And so what, what's your role in that? So now I work as a peer care manager, which is basically, it's like a case manager for people that are in a 12 step immersion program. So they're going through the 12 step in the middle of the woods. (laughs) (laughs) We're just helping them go through the 12 steps and, um, and it's really awesome that it's like to see the change people experience when they first come to where they are now and like being these amazing members of society um, is pretty miraculous. Yeah. And probably feels pretty amazing to be part of that journey. Yes. Like you're literally it. saving lives. I love it. <laughs> Beautiful. It feels like having, um, like being a superhero or something, not a superhero, but just like, it's magic it's like magic it's like being a magical part of someone becoming you know yeah it was inside you and then like they they do it and then they help other people and it's just like this awesome awesome thing and i love it beautiful so maybe let's back up a little bit um and are you comfortable with sharing a little bit about what your life was like before you got sober and sort of what was that breaking point for you that initiated change Yeah. um, So I'm an interesting story in terms of I didn't start drinking until I was like 18 um, when I went to college because my father was an alcoholic, like a really like I don't want to say bad alcoholic, but just a really far in his disease of his alcoholism. He was a Vietnam veteran and he had, you know, some mental health issues and growing up seeing his bottom, you know, like his, you know, uh, interaction with alcohol was really devastating for me, just Mm -hmm. even being adjacent to it. And so I didn't want to drink because of that. Like he was growing up, like this is probably the biggest, um, one of the biggest influences on my life. But as a child, I had to see my dad be homeless, like in our neighborhood. And that was a really painful, like experience to feel so powerless and um, to want him to come home and he can't stop drinking. And so it was just like that whole situation. um, It caused this like constant sense of worry about him. And, um, was very depressing. And it was just like a really hard experience. So for me, at first, I was like, Oh, no, I never want to drink. I don't ever want to, you know, I hate alcohol. Um, So I ended up I was still an addict, though, (laughs) in my essence. So that I don't think there was any way to avoid that. So it just wasn't alcohol, but it was relationships, you know, I think was probably my first addiction. Um, in terms of like codependency and just like being really attached to people Um, and, you know, you know, eating disorders and different things like that. I feel like those were kind of like my addictive ways of acting out um, before I found substances. So in college, I found substances and um, I've just, (laughs) I went to college and I was, this really uh, shy 
insecure person and didn't want that to be how I was in college. So when I got there, I wanted it to be like, this is a fresh start. Like I'm going to hang out with like the cool people or whatever in my head, you know, it was yeah. just so silly now, but, um, and to me, the coolest guys are the guys that I like are soccer guys and skater guys and drug dealers. <laughs> so, <laughs> they are the hottest. <laughs> so They're pretty hot. So uh, I got in, was hanging out with soccer guys when I first got there and they were like, come on, we're going to go to Tampa and this limo and like I'm clubbing and stuff like that. And I was sitting in this limo with them and had total imposter syndrome, just feeling like I'm not cool enough to be hanging out with these people. Like, what am I doing? What do I say? How do I act? I have no idea. And they were like, do you want some champagne? And at first I said no. And then I drank some. And then I drank the rest of the night as much as I could, as much as I could get. It was just like, it calmed me down. And I was able to just be with these people. And, um, and I had so much fun. And it was amazing. And um, that first night of how that felt that sense of relief um and that sense of like I can't get enough you know um I think I was chasing that pretty much the rest of the time like that I drank um but it sounds like such a natural like progression of the evening like you're feeling a little insecure and retreated and then alcohol lowers your inhibition so all of a sudden you're feeling loose you're having a good time like you're out of your own head so i get that and i've been there <laughs> it was yeah the feeling of that first night was amazing i felt like i belonged and i never felt that way so it was like okay this is a solution for me you know i remember thinking that i remember being hung over the next day after class and just thinking oh i feel horrible but that was amazing. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Yeah. And I did. And I drank a lot. And that's the other thing that I think pointed me that to the, you know, later deciding I wasn't alcoholic was I could drink a lot in the very beginning. Like there was a very high tolerance. And also I didn't have a stopping point even from the beginning. So it was like, as soon once you start me up, I'll never stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep going until I pass out and that is that is a consistent never been any you know it's always been that way um and so but I think for me the thing I noticed I started to have consequences pretty immediately um in terms of just like relationships like getting into fights with guys I was dating or friends or um getting alcohol poisoning getting in trouble, like just different things were happening. And it was pretty quick. Like some people don't have consequences like that. Like when they drink, you know, like I had friends in college that drank and didn't have any of those things happen. So um, for me, it was like pretty consistent. And, you know, I just had stuff going on, but I was able to keep being a good student and like, do all that. So it's like, as long as I wasn't like interfering with my college academics, I think mm -hmm. I wasn't worried about it. Um, and I think I didn't, you, you know, I didn't have like too much health issues or anything like that. So I was kind of like, you know, we'll just keep it going. And I did. And um, it seemed normal. I, I don't think I felt like 
it was weird at first. I thought I was just like, I just have to learn how to level it out, you know? Yeah. Um, and so sorry to interrupt, but was it so like binge drinking more so like on the weekends when you went out or was it an everyday we're drinking situation? It wasn't every day. I think at first it was binge drinking. So it was like maybe, you know, when there were parties on the weekend and maybe like once or twice during the week, if, if people were going out, you know, I don't think I wasn't like drinking by myself or anything. Yeah. First, it was really just like with people, you know, so if there was yeah. like a guy or like friends that were going out and like there was a you know something happening then I would drink but when I did it was crazy you know yeah and I think that's how it starts for so many people especially in high school and college years exactly yeah it was not like every day or anything um but it just was excessive Mm -hmm. you know and so and it kind of was like that for like the first three years of college it was what I just described um but in my junior year of college, I got assaulted, which basically I passed out in my room, but like the dorm I was in was like a circle and there would be a party going on in that dorm. So people would go in and out of each other's apartment, like in and out of, they just have your door open. And so, um, so in my room had like the bathroom, like that people would use. Okay. And I guess a guy came in I don't really know what happened because I blacked out so but I just woke up and it was a guy that I didn't know and um after like just trying to have sex with me and like it really messed with me um when that happened and I think a kind of a switch got flipped you know I definitely had sexual trauma in my childhood and so I don't know if some of that came back up because of that experience but I got really um, antisocial in terms of like, I still wanted to go out, but I started to want to do drugs and do coke. I started to do cocaine like all the time. And I started to wear like baggy clothes. Like it was just like trying to like kind of protect myself or something, but also kind of going off the deep end with my drinking and starting to do drugs. Um, So that's when I started to do it like every day. And I started dating the guy I was buying Coke from and um, he was another student and we, and ironically, I think he's sober now. We we talked a few years ago. That's amazing. With an AA. So it's a good, good ending. But, um, but yeah, so me and him were dating and we were partying every day and, um, I just started to kind of look like a drug addict too. I got like really super skinny and like, you know, just kind of began to lose it and um, started lying to get money from my parents and it just like all this stuff, like it just got a lot worse. Um, and that, that happened pretty much a junior year. And then I, you know, I still passed magically. I don't know how I didn't go to class. I would just go to my exams. But um, I passed and went to, on to senior year. We broke up and I was by myself. And then I started to drink and do drugs by myself every day. And I think that was kind of like when it, you know, started to go really downhill was when I became comfortable doing that by myself, like not being with people. Um, and what ended up happening uh, my senior year of college is I 
went on a bender during my comprehensive exam. So that's the exam that you take to pass your major so that you graduate. And during that comprehensive exam, I was drunk from sunup to sundown that whole month that we were doing that. And um, dating this guy that kept getting my car impounded. It was just like crazy that whole month. And he, my medication that I was taking was in my car. And so I wasn't taking it. And it's an antidepressant that you're not supposed to go off of. So I had like kind of like a meltdown and ended up in the psych ward. Um, for I'm thinking I, I threatened to hurt myself or something. I'm not even sure exactly what happened. Um, but my family flew down to Florida and had an intervention and they were like, we don't think you should stay in college. Like it's obviously you're having some issues. So I decided to go to treatment. I, I mean, I didn't decide to go to treatment. It was kind of like, you're going to treatment. And I was like, okay. Um, so I got taken out of school and I think for me over the years of being sober, I don't think I realized what a big deal that was, but I'd always been a really good student. Um, and leaving college early and not graduating on time was very traumatic for me. Um, and just leaving that way, like, it was just like, and I was like, when we were leaving college, like with my stuff in my car, I was throwing up from withdrawal. So I was throwing up in like this plastic, like, you know, gas station bag or something. Oh, like no. I'm leaving college, like all my friends are still there. And I'm just like uncontrollably vomiting and like driving off, you know, like that's how I left. Um, and so it was just a really devastating experience. And I wish I had gotten sober right after that. That was not my bottom. Um, so I, I went to treatment. I couldn't stay sober during treatment. I was outpatient. I started dating a guy that was in there that had like an ankle bracelet. He was like on home house arrest or oh, something. No. And then I got kicked out. And then I went to San Diego. They were like, go live with your sister. She's you know, has her master's in social work, she'll fix you, mm. like, and so I went to live with her, got a DUI, told him my car, oh, no. uh, just, just lies, <laughs> lots of lies, like, um, and so I went to, to an inpatient treatment, got kicked out of that, um, so this I just, was in your early 20s, this was all in my early 20s, 21, 22, 23, and, um, so I somehow I convinced my family after that inpatient, you know, it's not the drinking, it's something I don't remember what I said it was, but I was like, I can drink, look, I'm going to finish my degree, see that I can get it together. So I did, I finished my degree, but I was still drinking. I think I said it was the drug, but I was like, I need to stop drugs. Mm -hmm. So I stopped doing drugs. And then I just was drinking. And, um, I think what ended up happening that last year was it just got really depressing and I had to, I still had to hide it because I was still drinking a lot. So I was like hiding it in my room, like in the closet or under my bed and drinking by myself and just like super depressed and it just this isolated kind of zombie like feeling of almost like not like a shell of a person. I wasn't like a real person anymore. 
um, my life revolved around drinking and it was very isolated because I was scared to go out because I didn't know what was going to happen. There's just a lot of craziness that would happen. I ended up in Tijuana one time. Like, it was just like, I didn't know what was going to happen, you know? Yeah. So, um, I don't mean to laugh, but like, no, it's so hilarious. <laughs> wait, I have to tell this story. So Please. when I was in San Diego and my sister, I still had my sister convinced I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. So I went to my, I got a job at Target and I was going to like the Target orientation, <laughs> you know, like get oriented, get your orientation for this job. My sister was out of town with her, her fiance. And um, she was like, be good, you know, go to your orientation. I'm going to have my friend Troy's going to stay over at the house to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do. I was like, whatever. So I went to the orientation and there was a cute guy there. He was training too for his security position or something. So he was like, let's go get lunch. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. We go get lunch. I get drunk immediately. Like, <laughs> I don't remember the day that much. But I know that we went to get lunch. I got drunk. We went to a party. And did you go back to the end of training? Yeah. Well, I, we finished. Okay, we finished. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah. I had that job. So I know I finished. Okay. But um, we went to this party. He was like, you're a mess. I'm leaving you at this party that you don't know anybody. <laughs> he just left me oh there. Oh my God. And so no worries. I meet other people there, these older gentlemen. Um, and they're like, we're going to go out, like come with us. We're going to go out on, on the town. And so, you know, I get more wasted. We end up going out in Tijuana instead of like San Diego. So we go to Tijuana and I'm like, so messily drunk in Tijuana. I'm glad I didn't end up getting like kidnapped or I don't know. You know, I survived it and then made it home that night, like in a cab. It, I don't. I, that was like angels or something. But um, I made it back to the house, and Troy didn't say anything to my sister. I don't know why, but he's like, she's back at least in one. <laughs> she's here. He's here. That's a good. Yeah, he's like, and he doesn't want to. He's supposed to be responsible for you. He doesn't he want to. Yeah. He was just like, she made it home. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. So stuff like that. I think it was just like, and that was not the only time stuff like that would happen. Mm. I would run off, like I'd go out to bars with friends and run to the bar next door by myself, but just like crazy things, like. Um, and I never knew like what was, you know, who I'd end up with, where I'd end up. Like, yeah, that's why the isolation started just to like protect me or something. Um, but so I I was wrapping up a lot of my consequences too. So my DUI, I had to do this class to get my license back and, uh, I did the class and I passed it, but there was an extra part because my DUI was in California. And I was in Tennessee. So I had to do this extra like assessment. And I was drunk at the assessment, not intentionally. I was drunk the day before. And then I was shaking. And I was like, ooh, I don't want to be shaking in my drug and alcohol assessment. That won't look good. So I drank that morning to like stop shaking. And I did not pass the assessment. And um had he was like you have to go to 25 AA meetings before I'll give you your certificate 
and I think around that time I kind of threw my hands up in terms of like I have a problem you know it was that and then around that time I had this feeling one night um that was like if you continue this you're going to die and it was like a real like intuitive feeling like Mm -hmm. something I took seriously like that you can keep this up but it's not gonna go well you know and so and part of me didn't care about that like part of me was like whatever like I don't really care anyway um but part of me did and so I really tried to I got on my knees and I prayed and I just said, God, can you just please help me get sober? I don't know how to get sober. You know, I've tried so many times. Um, but if you can just help me like actually get it, like that would be amazing. And so I did that. And then I had had a sponsor who had taken me before when I had like 90 days. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Wait, I have to tell this story too. So I got 90 days sober at one point which was huge for me. I could never get that much time. It's huge. Yeah, that's a major accomplishment. So I was very proud of myself. So so proud of myself when I got my first 90 days that I went to go tell my neighbor that I had done a bunch of drugs with. I was like, let me go tell my neighbor, you know, I'll help save his life too. So I went over there. Let me tell you about Alcoholics Anonymous and how it saved my life. And he was like, oh, that's great. Do you want a Miller Lite? And I was like, yes. Ah. I was like, yes, that sounds good. And then <laughs> I just went off like on a tangent. So because also 90 days, you must be cured. If you could exactly. for 90 I was days. Like amazing, you know, I was even trying to help people. Like, I yeah. mean, Aww. I here. it's so, so innocent. <laughs> I know it was, it was crazy. Um, so which I'm actually weirdly glad that that happened because it demonstrated to me like what addiction is like, like the forgetfulness, like the mental blank spot of like, you can completely forget all the consequences and just Mm. in that moment, you know, and just give everything away. And um, so it was helpful to me to see that in myself. But um, I I got back with my sponsor and she told me, you know, if you do what I tell you to do for a week, I'll take you back. And I did. She's still my sponsor now. Um, and it's worked. I mean, you know, for me, I did the 12 steps. Um, I I'm of service as much as possible. I'm really involved in, um, different things. I don't think you have to be, you know, service focused in the program but I think it's important to be service focused to other people with your same affliction so other people that have you know an alcohol problem and addiction problem for me service and a spiritual connection are the two most important things that keep me sober and that have kept me sober um and then the humility of listening to people that know that have done it you know Mm -hmm. and so in order to get your license back, you had to complete those AA meetings. So that reconnected you with your sponsor and what started you down your 13 years of yeah, sobriety. It did. Wow. And so you had tried AA before when you got your 90 days. Uh-huh. And so did you, did you connect with it right away? Um, you know, what's really funny. Um, I went to AA so much, like 
my my first meeting was when I was 19. I hated it. I got yelled at by like an old timer. Mm-hmm. The first meeting I went to and I was like, this sucks, you know, whatever. I hate this. And wow. and then I started in San Diego. I actually liked it. Um, there were really cool women that would hang out with me. And, you know, I, part of me is like, oh, I wish you had gotten it. <laughs> they were so nice. And like, you would have had friends, like, you know, you would have been set up if you had like taken yeah. it seriously. But I really didn't. I, I think I like didn't even listen to what they were saying. I just knew I was supposed to go to meetings and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I think the difference was, when I did connect with it, it was out of desperation. It was like, I really don't know how to do this. I like my sponsor, you know, I liked her. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably the first connection I had to the program was finding someone who worked the program that I liked her. And she was just like cute and crazy and had time and um, kind of said off the wall things. And, and I really liked that about her. And she's still like that. It wasn't just this bland, dry, like, oh, God, actually connect and like identify with her in her life. She's like a Muppet (laughs) that is like in a horror movie, but is like really cute. I don't know. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) She just is like sick, like me, but healthy in her, Mm. her, her like healing, you know? And so I just identified with her in a lot of ways. And, um she's a very respectable person though I shouldn't say it like that she's a very respectable person yeah no I understand (laughs) so oh yeah I did want to hear the what your impression of it was because like I said I do talk to a lot of people um and they don't connect with it and I you know I have ideas about what why that is but I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience yeah so i first like i think everyone knows about aa so i've heard about it for my whole life um and i think it was in 2019 i was seeing a therapist and talking to her about my drinking and she was really big on just advocating for getting some sort of community you don't have to do it by yourself like get people around you that are like-minded and she was not pushing AA, but it was one of the recommendations she made. And she's like, just try it. What does it hurt to try? And immediately I had my backup and was just not open to the idea. And I think it's because it has such, I don't know if stigma is the right word, but like when I think of like AA, I think of like a dingy church basement. It's a bunch of like older men. It's what you see like on TV, everyone's sitting in a circle. So that's what I associated it with. And immediately I was like, I don't fit in there. It's not for me. So she was, she just kept encouraging me and she's like, okay, if you're not going to go to AA, why don't you try Al-Anon? Because I do have people in my family who have abused alcohol for years. Try that. It's a little bit softer introduction. Totally. So I did go to um, one Al-Anon meeting in person and I'm very like, I don't like to do new things by myself. Like it's very scary. So I went and I, I, I like showed up early cause I wasn't sure like what the situation was going to be like to get a seat. So I like got there and I was like the only one there for like 15 minutes, just like sitting in the room. <laughs> and I was like, this is unbearable. But so everybody came and I just felt so unprepared. Like everyone had a book that they were reading from. I didn't have the book. 
And I was just like almost embarrassed to be there because I just felt like an amateur. <laughs> but it was everyone was so kind and so sweet. Um, and everyone shared. I didn't share. I was like, if I say one thing, I'm going to burst into tears. So I'm just going to sit here in silence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just almost felt like everyone that's sharing is going through things that are so much harder than what I'm going through. What I experienced was 10 years ago. Like, I don't need to be here. Like, I'm taking up space for somebody who could be sitting here that needs it so much more than me. So even though the experience in itself was not bad, um, yeah, I almost felt like guilty and like shame for being there. So I never went back. Um, and then I continued on with my drinking and I would also party and like do like Coke was my drug of choice with like in certain scenarios. Um, and then that brings out like next day, like spiraling for two days, trying to recover, trying to just get yourself back to like your operating level of like what, whatever normal is. So I think the first time I went to AA was during the pandemic. So everything was online, which for me made it so much easier to show up. So I think a total I've been to maybe four AA meetings. They were all online, um, Toronto based where I am. And for the first one, it was like I did like the black screen. I'm not saying anything like I can barely say my name without like crying. Yeah. And Everyone I encountered was nice. Um, Like so many people messaged me on the side and gave me their phone numbers and reach out anytime, like call me if you need help. Like everyone was so welcoming and it was almost like that scared me. I was like, they're trying to like bring me in. I also felt like, okay, I don't, I'm like more at the time, more of a binge drinker. I'm not drinking all day, going on benders so much, even if I was drinking every day by the end of it, it wasn't all day every day. So it must not be that bad. Yeah, totally. Was like the script I was telling myself. So yeah, I just never immediately felt connected. Um, There was a few times that I did share in the meetings and just the introduction of saying, hi, I'm Keisha, I am an alcoholic, like made my stomach hurt. And even now, I don't necessarily identify with the term alcoholic, but I almost feel like it doesn't matter. Like, I know that I have a problem with alcohol and I have a drinking problem on some level, but I just wasn't ready to say those words. Yeah, I think that's normal. So I think that was a big part of it for me. And then the other part was that I really associated it with having faith and and being a religious aspect. Which was something that I went to a private Christian school growing up, but my family, my like core family was not religious. My grandparents were, but like my family didn't go to church. So I immediately felt disconnected from the people that I was growing up with. So then going into AA again, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about God. Like, do I have to believe in God to be here? So it was just like, instead of sticking around and getting answers to those questions, I kind of put my back up and was like, no, I'll find, I'll do a different way. Cause there's already two red flags for me here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's like, I think a, a lot of what I hear, you know, especially the, the higher power concepts, the spirituality concept. We, I think sometimes we come in there and we think, like, I remember coming in and thinking, well, I don't want to become churchy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a churchy Christian, you know, because I still grew I grew up Christian, but I didn't I felt like there was a lot of hypocrisy. I don't like that. And um 
I didn't like the concept of telling people they were going to hell. Like there was a lot of things I didn't like. And so when I came in, I was like, oh, I don't want to be, have to become that become like, <laughs> I didn't want to become like, like a, like a, a nun or something. I was like, yeah. that's not, that's not me at all, you know? And luckily I'm glad, you know, I realized that wasn't the case. It's definitely like your own conception of a higher power. Mm-hmm. You know, I've worked with people that they have like a female, like higher power. They have, um, you know, a person that they was like a mentor and that's who they talk to in their head. That's like their higher power. So it's like, there's these different like concepts and stuff for me. It's just been such a personal journey that like I've taken things from different, you know, uh, spiritual programs. Like there's some concepts I like from Buddhism. There's some concepts I like from Christianity. There's some concepts I like from a course in miracles. Then all of those are a part of, my spiritual program and there's also the divine feminine that I really like too like angels and goddess cards and stuff like that so um I and think like, I, I can get down with that like all that I could completely like relate to yeah and so for me it was like learning that that was okay you know like mm-hmm. that was my personal relationship my personal conception that I get to build and work on every day. And and no one's telling me what that looks like. They're just sharing what their experiences, but nobody's telling me, Stephanie, this is what your spiritual experience needs to be. You know, if it was like that, I wouldn't want to be a part of it. That would really bother me. Authority. Like I don't want anybody telling me what to do. So, you know, for me, that's been the probably the saving grace of it has been just like you're building this concept yourself you're taking these words you know from the program and like applying it to your life and your concept you know yeah Um, and I think that that spiritual journey is almost something that just goes hand in hand with sobriety anyways at least like that's what I'm kind of realizing now um I'm not sure but I'm I'm eight months sober from alcohol. (laughs) Thank you. But yeah, even over this time, like the more clarity I'm getting, the more connected I'm feeling to myself, the more interested I'm becoming in things like meditation and yoga. So I do understand also now, like coming from a more clear space, a clear head, how that can all tie in. Yeah, totally. And I do think too, because I was like, you know, in the beginning, I was like, it has to be the 12 steps. It has to be, you know, da, 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 da. But honestly, I think all of it is a spiritual journey. And I think that we all have different ways that we go about our spiritual growth. And I think that recovery and getting sober is the same way. We all have different ways of recovering. And to me, what's important is that people are recovering. Like that is what I care about. I just want people to, to be sober and have a life. Mm-hmm. And so if it looks all different kinds of ways, you know, I need to be open-minded to that because I don't want to block anyone from their growth or their healing, you know? Yeah. Um, and just cause it looked a certain way for me doesn't mean it has to for other people. Yeah. Do you have any advice for someone who might be considering trying AA, but is scared of making that next step? 
Yes, my advice would be to, um, well, one, don't go by just one meeting in terms of how you judge it. All meetings are different. So I would definitely recommend trying a few different ones before you make a judgment about it. Um, The second thing I would say is for me, what I like, I like women's meetings and I like book study meetings because um, book studies are just, you're literally just in the literature. So it's not like a person's opinion. That's you know, the big book. The big book or it's the 12 and 12 or it's, you know, there's different books. Like okay. that could be a literature study. But I feel like a literature study is literally like a class. Like you're just looking at the words and seeing what you identify with. Um, and what you don't and hearing people's different experience but I feel like that's sometimes better than just an open discussion because you can't go wrong with this book that's helped millions of people um in my opinion I feel like it has a lot of good in there um so but that's what I would say is probably uh to try ones that you identify with like I have a girl I'm working with she really like this meeting that's a pagan uh, 12-step meeting. And so they have like, you know, it's a different concept of a higher power. That's, this is the focus and they get crystals instead of chips. Like there's just different things that you can find that are more aligned with what you're into. And like for me at 23, young people's meetings were what I was into. And so that's another thing too, is like maybe you don't want to go to a meeting where everyone's like 30 years older than you going to a meeting where everyone's like in their early twenties um, is kind of nice. Cause you kind of can all relate. So there's just different things to consider. Um, and just, there's tons of meetings, but also I did want to say, I'm not a spokesperson. <laughs> Alex Anonymous. So please nobody come at me like that. Cause I'm definitely. No, I don't think anybody would, but it, I love getting your perspective on it because a lot of the people that I've connected with so far online are not members of AA or haven't tried it and have gone a different route. So I think it's important to hear from, from all different experiences. Yeah, definitely. And it also makes me wonder, like, is there value for me trying it again now, even though I, I feel like not that I'm out of the woods, but like those crucial days where like, I thought I was going to break are kind of behind me, but I know it's still every day I have to show up to maintain it. So is there value in me trying it now and maybe trying like a secular or a pagan meeting to see if I do connect more? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's always good to stay connected and centered inside yourself and see if there's something that, you know, you're being nudged towards like, okay, this could be helpful. I'm really into that. Like, I think that it's an evolution. So Mm -hmm. my program has looked so different over the past 13 years. I have not, it's not looked all the same. Um, You know, there was a time I was like only into like A Course in Miracles and going to Unity, like church, like that was all I was doing. I wasn't going to meetings or anything. So I think there's just like different, you know, there's just just a, a different, you know, part of your growth that you have to just see like what you're being called to and kind of like have fun going towards that and trying it you know yeah and so what are some of the non-negotiables for you in like your daily practices that help you stay sober I have to pray god help me stay sober today (laughs) (laughs) that 
and then I have to at night say thank you for helping me stay sober those that's something I've done every day like I have to do that yeah Um, and the other is being of service I think just making myself available as often as possible to supporting other people and their recovery I feel like is vital for my recovery if I get away from that it's like I don't know it just is a lot harder and when I do that it makes things smoother for me Mm -hmm. um yeah it's just a really important part I don't know how else to explain it but I do need that to be available as often as possible it's kind of like anything right like going to the gym or eating healthy like if you do it every day it's easier to maintain but then if you don't do it for two weeks getting back into it is where the challenge is yeah for sure and it helps that it's like my work now I think that working with people so it's like you automatically like that puts you in that position of service but I like that I do it outside of work too. I think it's just important to um, just to, I think it's what it's supposed to be even on a spiritual level. I think when we grow spiritually, it's important to share that message or like Maya Angelou said, when you learn, teach, like when you have come up, you know, when you've had a come up in some way, you need to reach a hand back and help someone else. Like that is part of you going forward you know so I just think that's really important that's a beautiful quote and it reminds me of something I read on your Twitter that I can't remember how you phrased it exactly but it was something like I can't keep my own sobriety if I don't give a little bit away like Mm -hmm. if you don't pass that on so yeah yeah, I I believe in that too (laughs) beautiful um so I don't want to kind of go go past what you said without acknowledging um your assault that happened in college and I am very sorry that you had to experience that was there any justice for you or did that person have to face any accountability no um I did start the process of it and it was interesting because he was friends with one of the sports teams and I was kind of getting they they were kind of harassing me a little bit not about that but I think I was feeling intimidated like I didn't want to do anything um and I feel okay with that I, I feel okay that I didn't ever you know press charges and part of that I think is because I was blacked out So there was this question of like, did I get up and go out and like talk to someone? You know, it's like, I don't know. Um, Self-doubt. There was some self-doubt because of just not, and I'm not saying this for anyone else in terms of if they black out, like there's, I'm not saying anyone's accountable. I'm just talking about for myself. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, exactly what had happened. And um, but I feel comfortable that I didn't press charges against that guy or this other guy that I had that happen, a similar thing happen in college too. Um, I don't, I don't know why. I just feel like, I feel like there's karma, you know, I feel like I I don't need to be the one that punishes them. I feel like their soul will hurt from things like that, just like my soul hurts from things that I do that I don't make amends for. So, you know, I think it's just more of like a, 
letting it go on a spiritual level or something. They'll get what's coming to them. Yeah. I mean, if that, you know, if they, you know, hopefully they didn't, they don't do it anymore. Hopefully it was like, just, I I don't know. There's just, you never know what that stuff like, but I definitely think in certain situations, it is a good idea to go ahead and follow through with it. It just wasn't right for me at that time. Yeah. And that's totally okay. And it's just so scary that I think, especially in the United States, it's something that is so common on college campuses. And I know there's so many groups like speaking out against it now, but it's just, it's a scary place to be. Yeah, for sure. Especially Um, like with alcohol. Oh yeah, totally. And um, so I'm, I'm actually going back to my college to host a recovery week next month. And the girl who helped book everything is like a, she's like, actually that's her job is like being a advocate for women and and anyone that experienced sexual assault or like anything like that. So they actually have a position now of someone that like helps people with stuff like that, which is really cool. Good. That's amazing. And it's such a, like a full circle moment for you to, I to know, go back. I'm so excited. My soul is happy. Like oh. to get to go back and just offer, you know, some hope like to people that are there um, and to just get to be of service. I feel like it is a full circle moment and I'm very excited about That's it. That's so beautiful. Well, I, I'll keep, I'll keep you posted. Like I want to know how it goes. I can't okay. wait. I can't wait. Um, so before we wrap up, what's one thing that you wish that you knew about sobriety before you quit drinking? Oh my gosh. I wish I knew that sobriety was so fun. Like, I think I thought it was just boring. Your, your social life is dead or something. And for me, it's like not been that way at all. I can be just as crazy and I can, you know, kind of be this like, what I wanted to be then, but sober, which is way nicer because consequences aren't aren't there. And I remember what I do. So um, just that I can have fun and like still do a lot of fun stuff and not have to be inebriated to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. So uh, how can people find you if they want to follow along with your work and your sobriety journey? So there's a few ways they can find me. On Instagram, it's Stephanie is sober. On Twitter, Steph Sober Life. And I have a website where I sell planners, and that is sweetestfreedommarket.com. Perfect. I'll also uh, tag it in the show notes so people can find it easily. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. Oh, good. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. I'm so glad I got to hear your perspective. My pleasure. This is Keisha signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find me at donewithdebauchery.com or follow along on Instagram at donewithdebauchery. Thanks for listening.